How's everybody doing tonight? Good, good, fine. Excellent. All right. Tonight, we're going to talk about submission. But not that submission. It's not a submarine mission. That's just a dumb picture that I put up there. Um, so Fran talked last week, uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, and I'm going to preach on that same passage again tonight and just kind of cover some more of the bases. Um, this is one of the, I don't know, more, I can't think of the word, least popular passages in the Bible. Uh, it's a difficult one. It's, it's kind of weird to understand. Um, some of our modern cultural ideas get in the way. Um, so, yeah. So let's jump right in. I was challenged by a friend to try to use as many, like, um, cheesy pastor phrases tonight as possible. So in honor of that, I'll say buckle up. So we're gonna we're gonna get into the word. Um, all right, I'm gonna start out. I got three stories, um, three stories to tell of a husband and a wife and a scenario that they were in. So the first story goes like this: the husband, um, who's in his forties, has worked. They've had kids. They're ready all of a sudden feels like God is calling him to move across the country and enter into seminary when he's 40 years old. Um, so he tells the wife this, and she's like, uh-uh, no way. And so he's like, well, this is what God is calling us to do, um, so we're going to do it. And she says, no way, we're not going to do it. Um, so he talks to his pastor, who's a close friend of his. And the pastor says, if your wife is not on board, you better not do it. You better figure out what you're doing um, until God tells her, otherwise, stay put. So he listens to this wise counsel, and they stay put. Um, and he keeps talking to God. He keeps engaging with God. Like, God, I feel like you're telling me to do this. Um, so what do I do about it? But my wife is not happy about this situation. And he keeps praying about it. And over the course of six months, um, things change. And the wife comes to the husband one day and says, I've been talking to God. And God says, we should go. Story number two. Oh, I'll say two of these stories are people you know in this room. I'm not saying their names because it's just, I want you to think about the stories and not necessarily the people involved, but you'll probably figure it out. Story number two, um, husband and wife moved to Denver and they're looking around to buy a house. And so, <clears throat> sorry, 
So they, find, they start looking at houses. They find a couple houses. They find one house. Wife really loves this house. Wants this house. Likes this house. Husband is like, it's a really great house. It's really cool. He's like, but I know you. And I know what you want in a house. So husband says, I don't know if buying that house is such a good idea. Wife says, okay, well, what do you mean? Like, what, what are we supposed to do then? And husband says, well, I know you. So this other house has these features that X, Y, and Z will fit you and your lifestyle and how you want to use our home better than the other house, even though the other house is cooler. So after some thinking about it, wife says, you know what? You're right. Um, This other house, even though it's not as cool as the first house that I really like, will accomplish our goals as a family better. And so they buy the house, the not the cool house, but the other house, which is also a cool house, but just different. <clears throat> okay, story number three. This one was told to me a long time ago. Not sure of a lot of the details, but the way I was told it goes like this. Husband and wife get married. Husband says... God is calling us to go to the mission field, to move somewhere, I don't know, to the Philippines or something, I think. And wife says, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. And husband says, okay, but we talked about this, you know, as making ministry a priority, and now this opportunity has been presented, and I feel it is from God, and we want to move to the Philippines. She's like, no, I don't want to move to the Philippines. I want to do ministry. I want to do it here in the United States uh, where it's comfortable, blah, blah, blah. So husband keeps talking to the wife about it, not being abusive, not being overbearing, just says, look, I really think that God is calling us to go to the Philippines to be on the mission field. And so the wife says, okay, if you really feel that we are being called to the mission field in the Philippines, she's like, I will go. I will submit to you in this. I will trust that God is speaking to you when God is not speaking to me. She's like, I do not want to go, but I will submit to you in this case because you are really feeling led that God has called us to do this. So the husband says, okay. And they go. And the husband, the wife is not happy about it. She is being submissive to her husband, but she is not happy about being there. Husband sleeps on the couch for the first six months. They're there. He goes out every day, does missions. The wife stays at home and pouts in on their home. And after about six months, the wife comes to the husband one day and says, I'm sorry. 
this is totally what we're supposed to be doing. I am 100% behind you. I'm sorry that it took me six months to get there. Um, and at the time that I was told this story, they had been there for like 10 or 15 years or something at this point. Um, so the wife submitted to her husband, her husband and trusted God, even though she didn't want to go. Um, and then when she finally kind of got there, um, God honored that and she came alive and took on the ministry fully with her husband and they were successful in what they were doing there. Cool. Three stories, three husbands and wives. And, um, we'll come back to this later, but three husbands and wives who were all acting properly towards each other. Now the third scenario might be a little bit harder for some people in this room to accept that she went to the Philippines begrudgingly, but we'll get to that. Um, but the husband wasn't abusive or overbearing. The husband just felt called by God to do this. And so they went, um, so all three scenarios, the wife is acting properly. The husband is acting properly. Three very different scenarios. Um, and then we're going to talk about you know, Ephesians 5. Kind of, uh, We'll sort of talk about how these three stories kind of work and what the deal is there. So, um, yeah, we can put it up. Uh, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Next. Is there one more? Oh, it didn't get all on there, did it? Oh, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Fun, huh? Let's go back to verse 21. All right, so we start start this passage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't like that word. We don't like the word submit. We like to feel that we are individuals in control of our own lives. Um, and submit rubs us the wrong way, but... What does it mean to submit? Um, Fran did a great job last week, if you were here, kind of talking about that. Um, submit is to come under 
an authority or something, and she used the example of, you know, that a husband and wife kind of you come under and you fit together, so you sort of work together as a team. Um, another way that the word submit is used is to present. So, like, when you are applying for a job, you submit your resume to a company um, to get the job. So this is just another way to look at it. Is when you're looking for a job and you're submitting your resume, you're saying, this is the best of who I am. This is everything that I have to offer. And I'm giving this to you because I think that I am the right person for this job. I think that I can help your company, whatever, grow or do whatever your business is by giving the best of myself to this role. You know. And again, jobs are jobs. Sometimes they're hard, sometimes they're not. But in the beginning, when you submit a resume, you're trying to get this job because you believe, like, I, the best of me will help you to do what you do better. Um, and I heard this passage preached on this way um, of submitting to each other and wives submit to your husband. It's like, how are we giving the best of ourselves to the people around us to help them grow? Um, then the word doesn't seem so bad, does it? Um, I'll try to stop saying, mm, um, I'm super tired. Uh, so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the also, also the important part of this sentence out of reverence for Christ. It's not just submit to each other because you're the weaker person and the other person is stronger. It's not submit to them so that you can, you know, grovel or whatever. It's submit out of reverence for Christ. Um, Christ came to earth and he submitted himself as a deity to the laws of the earth. He came under the authority of the laws of man to help to save us all. Um, so he submitted himself to those things. So out of reverence for Christ, we submit to each other. That's everybody. That covers everybody. So we move into verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Again, if you're single... What should you be doing? Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. If you're married, what should you be doing? Submitting to your husband as you do to the Lord. Um, the verse is not all women submit to all men forever and always. Amen. That is not what it says. So let's not get confused by that submit to one another out of reverence for christ that's everybody and wives submit 
yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Um, I'm going to pick on my wife here a little bit. My wife, Scarlett, she says, oftentimes when this passage comes up, I don't have any problem submitting to Dave because he has to answer to God. Now, for those of you who know my wife, that will be very fitting, but that's also a true statement. That statement has more to do with your relationship to God than it does your relationship to your husband. Um, Yeah, so... Hang on. So, yeah, so if you are single, how does this apply to you? Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to his calling in your life. Submit yourself to him and his desires and to his word and all those things. Um, If you're married, submit yourself to your husband as you do to the Lord. Um, that's all I'll say on that. We'll move into the next part. Verse 25. Um, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the, the other way that gave himself up for her is translated, uh, in different versions is died for the church. He gave up his life. He literally gave himself up for her. Um, So husbands, so what do we do? So we're called to submit to one another. Our wives are called to submit to us as they do the Lord. And then we are called to love your wife. And then we are called to die for our wives. To give yourself up for her. So that can be physical death. You know, as in I'd take a bullet. But that can also just be I give myself up for you. I give up my desires. I give up my wants. I give up my sort of being for the sake of my wife. Why do we do this? Um, As it says... To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant. Okay, now it gets weird because it kind of jumps back and forth between husbands and wives and the church and Christ. We'll get to the church and Christ here in a minute, but I'm going to focus on husbands for a minute here. So, um, So husbands, love your wives. Die for your wife. Give yourself up for your wife. Make her pure and holy. Do you wake up every morning saying, how can I make my wife pure and holy today? I don't even know how you do that a lot of times, but I don't know. That'd probably be a good start. Like, how can I make my wife pure and holy today? How do I do that? How do I go about today to give that to my wife? Um... Let's go on to, oh no, and verse verse 27, 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Um, Are you critical of your wife? How she does things, how she looks. Are you critical of those things? Maybe you've been married for a while. Maybe things aren't the same as when you were young and in love. Are you critical of those things in her? What this is saying is Christ did not do that with the church. Um, And so husbands are called to not do those things to their wives. Um. Sorry, I got lost here. Let's okay, let's go on to twenty eight. So in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. In this same way, in the same way as Christ who presents the church to himself in a radiant, pure, and blameless way, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Um Do you feed and care for your body? Um, Yes. So feed and care for your wife. I mean, it's broader than that, but that's the simple terms of feed and care for her. It says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, uh, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of this body. And then it quotes to Genesis. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, if you are one flesh and you are neglecting your wife, then you are neglecting yourself, uh, is the simplest way to put it. (laughs) Um, It's the most blunt way. Like, you are one body, so if you're critical of your wife, you're critical of yourself. If you don't feed and care for your wife, you are not feeding and caring for your own body. Um, So why, why is this stuff hard? Why are these hard passages? Because we're selfish people. Um, And that's the short of it. (laughs) Um, If we, oh, I didn't put it up there. I forgot. Okay, well, I'll read it. Um, so you go all the way back to Adam and Eve. We know the story of Adam and Eve, right? God created Adam and Eve. And he said, don't eat from the fruit of this tree. Eve took the fruit and said, hey, let's eat of this. So she took a bite. She gave it to Adam. Adam took a bite. And God says, no, no, that's not good. And he comes in and he says, okay. Because you have disobeyed me, you're kicked out of the garden. Right? That's kind of the story we all know from kids. Um, Adam and Eve sinned by not obeying God and not submitting to his authority. He said, you can have everything in this garden, just not this one thing. Uh, Obedience was the only thing they had to do. And they messed it up. 
So because of that, God, in Genesis 3.16, and this I didn't put this up there, but he cursed man and woman, cursed Adam and Eve. He said to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And then this is the part, the second half of the verse. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then it goes on to talk about the husband. The curse was to work the ground and to work hard his whole life. But um, I find this part very interesting. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And the way I've always heard this talked about is your desire will be for your husband is not for him as a physical person, but your desire will be for your husband's power and authority. And then in turn, he will rule over you. So then we go back to Ephesians five and what do we get to? Wives, Submit to your husband. Be not desirous of your husband's authority or power. Submit to that. And then, husbands, love your wives. Don't rule over your wife. So what, in a sense, that Paul is saying here, I don't think it's a direct correlation, but is he's saying you're breaking the curse that God placed on Adam and Eve by doing these things, or you're redeeming what maybe was in the garden before kind of the screw up. Um, so does that make sense? I don't know. Thanks. Larry. <laughs> um, so yeah. The, the curse for all of mankind, for man and woman, is women to be desirous of her husband's power and authority and for the husband to rule over the wife. And what Ephesians 5 is saying is you can redeem that. You can break that curse by doing these things. Um, so, we'll go back to the three stories. Husband and wife, number one. Husband wanted to move across the country with his whole family to go to seminary. Wife said no. So, husband talks to somebody and the guy says, you better not do this until your wife is on board with this plan. So, the husband loved his wife and decided, okay, we'll stay put for now and I'll keep asking God to do something about this. He honored his wife. He loved his wife. He was not critical of her. Um, he fed and cared for her in the meantime. And then when it was the right time, God changed her heart and they moved and she then, at that point, submitted to her husband to move across country, ultimately submitting to God in this process. Um, husband and wife number two with the house. Um, 
wife really wanted a certain house. And husband came to her lovingly and said, this house will not do what you want it to do. It's a really cool house, but it won't ultimately not do what we want to do as a family. And wife said, okay, you're right. She submitted. The husband loved through this scenario. And and they got to where they were supposed to be. Um, husband and wife number three. This is trickier. Husband was dead set on going to the Philippines and just kept telling his wife as such. Wife said, I will submit to you like begrudgingly, but only because I am called to submit to you. So the way I kind of see this one is that uh, the husband could have done what husband number one did and said, okay, I'll wait. I'll hang out and I'll wait till you're ready. But he felt the call of God very strong in his life and the wife was willing to go, albeit begrudgingly. Again, no abuse here. Um, oh, and just to just to reiterate, like Fran talked about it and Mike talked about it um, two weeks ago. Submission is something that is given. It is not demanded of. If, some, if you are being demanded to submit to something, that is abuse. Submission is something that you freely give to someone else. So the wife, number three in this scenario, freely gave her submission to her husband, albeit begrudgingly. I think if she had probably put her foot down, he, he might have not gone along with it, but because she agreed to go, even begrudgingly, he said, okay, I'm going to follow the call of God in my life um, and lead my family in that manner. That ultimately, the will of God is the most important thing, even over the wife's happiness, let's say. So that's why I say I believe husband and wife number three did these verses correctly. It was just a tougher situation to be in. She submitted to her husband and her husband loved his wife through this process um, to the point where God brought them together and they were able to do their ministry. Um... So, yeah. So that's just three examples of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and how that plays out in what God has said for the husband and the wife. So now there's all this other stuff woven in through here. This is a weird, it's a weird passage. Husbands and wives, Christ in the church. Um, so let's look at Christ and the church. Um, 
So, husbands, love your wives. Okay, we talked about that. Just as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. This is some more of a theme that we've been looking at here in Ephesians of what, where we kind of started out in a, a sermon I preached a few months back called God's Direction is Towards You. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. He died. He went to the cross to um, <clears throat> love the church more, to save us from our sins, to save us from our the original sin of selfishness, of Adam and Eve in the garden. He made the church holy by washing with water through the word. There's a couple different kind of ways you could look at this. Um, in, in John, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word is referred to as Christ in that passage. So you could look at this as the washing with water through the word, meaning just we are washed clean by Christ and what he did for us. Um, Yeah. So then it says he present presented her to himself as a radiant church without blemish. Um, it's kind of weird grammar things going on there. He presented her to himself. He took the church, presented the church to himself as a radiant church without blemish. This is basically grace. Um, we have lots of flaws and imperfections. We have sin. We have all this stuff. But Christ's blood on the cross paid for all of that so that now Christ can look at the church, look at his body as a radiant church without blemish. As a way, as That's how he presented himself to us. That is the grace that he gives us. Um, that is also the sacrifice on the cross that he made um, and then at the end of 27, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Um, I underlined the word blameless. I don't know. I don't know about you. I kind of like that word. How do you feel about being blameless? How would you like to approach another person? Approach God, approach Jesus, and know that you're blameless. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Anybody? I think that's pretty sweet. Like, uh, and God did that for us. Um, then into 28, or, well, I guess it's, uh, no, into 28, into... 29, I guess, actually it is. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Um, Christ feeds and cares for us. He makes us blameless. He presents us to himself as a radiant church without blemish. He makes us holy 
by washing us with water through the word. He gave himself up for us. He died for us on the cross because he loves us. Um, so all the husbands and wives stuff, basically all this is saying is, is the goal of being more Christ-like. Um, because he did all this stuff first for us. And then we are just supposed to reciprocate that to each other in our marital relationships. Um, and yeah, all that other stuff. There's so much in these 12 verses. Like this is a crazy, crazy passage. Um, hopefully we scratched it for you. Hopefully I made you think, gave you some stuff to chew on. Um, so yeah, and that's, that's all I got tonight. Um, we're going to go into a time of communion now as we continue talking about what Christ has done for us. Um, like I said, Christ died on the cross for us to pay for all of our sin, all of our shame, all the bad stuff we ever did, all the bad stuff we will ever do. Uh, we are now, in His eyes, considered holy and blameless and without blemish. So, when He, the night before He was went to the cross, He was having supper with His disciples, and He took some bread and He said, This is my body that is broken for you. Um... And he took a cup with wine in it. And he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Um, and it's just a way to remember what Christ did. That he loved us. That he gave himself up for us. That he died on the cross. That he made us holy by washing us with water through the word. That he presented us to himself as radiant without blemish. That he's made us holy and blameless. And that he feeds and cares for us. Um, and I just think communion is cool because it's a, it's a physical thing that you can touch. You can take the bread. You can dip it in the wine. And then you can ingest it. You can smell the bread, you can smell the wine, you can taste it, and you can remember the things that Christ has done for you in this life. And then try to act accordingly as we go throughout the week. Um, the way we do it here is there'll be some folks up front and in the back. You can come up, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and then uh, go back to your seat, enter into worship with the band, the prayer cave. There will be people down there to pray with you if you want to pray through any of this stuff. Um, you can go outside, you can, whatever, however you want to spend this time of remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Um, I will pray for us and then we can enter into worship and communion. Heavenly Father,
I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be submitted to the laws of man and earth, to hang out with us, to understand fully um, what it means to live this life on earth as a man, as a woman. Um, And you didn't have to do that. And then beyond that, he didn't just come hang out with us. He ultimately was a sacrifice that paid the price for all of our sin, all of our shame, all the bad stuff, all the guilt. Um, And that's just amazing. God, I just want to thank you for doing that, for giving us Jesus, for, yeah, and giving us your word to help us to walk through this life and to try to do it better and to try to redeem some of the bad stuff of this earth that we live in. Um, So God, we thank you for giving us the gift of your son and we thank you for just helping us to walk through this life. Amen.